was just as good as the music. Y'all greatly encouraged me today, and I hope I can encourage you guys today as well uh, with God's Word today. So I hope you got your Bibles with you, and if so, turn with me to the book of Revelation, the very first chapter of the last book of the Bible is where we're going to be at again today. I normally don't preach, um, you know, two-part sermons, but, uh, but anyway, if, if we hadn't have done that last week, uh, you would probably have been in here for a, a good amount of time. So I had mercy. I won't have mercy all the time on you when I'm preaching, but I had mercy last week and I, and I cut it short. No, no pastor likes to cut their sermon short, but anyway, I did it last week and I don't think I'll do it, um, a lot, but hey, you know, we'll see, right? But first, Revelations, where we're going to be, chapter 1, verses 4 through 18, is where we're going to be at this morning for our text. And um, as you're turning there, remember that this book that we love, all right, it's all about Him. I mean, this is, you talk about the old hymn book, right? From the sanctuaries. Y'all remember that? Baptist hymnal. I still remember the Baptist hymnal, hymn number 200 years ago, used to be without him. That was my favorite song. Why was it your favorite song? Because it only had two stanzas. And Bill, uh, I was sitting kind of like up front where you and, and your brides were, were sitting. And, and I remember that's the Sunday I walked down the aisle and said, hey, I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior at RA camp uh, uh, the previous week. And, uh, and I was so thankful without him only had two stanzas instead of like five, like some that are in the Baptist hymnal. But this is our first hymn book because it's all about him. So um, he's the, Jesus Christ is the central person. He's the central character. He is the hero of all of the Bible. And this book tells us everything we need to know about him. It tells us everything we need to know to make a decision to follow Jesus with our whole heart. And I hope that there's been a day in your life, where's Hannah, Hannah, where you draw the line in the sand, right? We, we were talking about that. And that's the day that you decided to follow Jesus. I hope there's been a day in your life that you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And if there hasn't been, uh, please see me soon or see Robert or Trey. Uh, we would love to talk with you about the most important decision that you need to make. And that's to ask Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord. Well, this book's about many things. Um, let me just kind of refresh where we were uh, compared to um, last Sunday before I get into some new stuff today. I've entitled the message, All Hail King Jesus, because if you really want to have a new you this new year, and I realize this is the last Sunday of January, isn't that hard to believe? Christmas is already almost here. <laughs> I, I, mean, I kid you not. I told Tina yesterday, I guess it was, we were in the car coming back from up here, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm ready for Christmas, and she about ran off the road. But I really, I, I don't know, I just, I love that time of year, but it, Christmas is going to be here before you know it, because, you know, time flies, Right. And January is already gone, but there's still time for you to have a new you this new year. And if you really want to have a new you this new year, you've got to make sure that Jesus is your king. This book tells us everything we need to know to make Jesus our king and our Lord. It's about the church. You know, here in Revelation of all books, it talks about the letters that, that Jesus wanted John to write to the churches there that were there in Asia Minor. This book's about the future. It doesn't tell us everything we want to know about the future, but it tells us everything we need to know so that there again, we can make sure we're right with Jesus. Uh, it's a book about judgment. You know, we serve a holy God who hates sin. He hates the sin in my life. He hates the sin in your life. So this book is about judgment. And we read here about the trumpet judgments and the judgment of the scrolls and all the other uh, judgments that we read about here in the book of Revelation. But ultimately, this book is all about King Jesus. So with that in mind, look with me in your copy of God's Word, Revelation chapter 1, 
And let's, let's look at verse 4 and following. Here's what the Bible says. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I'm the alpha and the omega says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty. And then we read in verse nine, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That just tells you that every now and then things aren't going to work out the way you think they're going to work out. And even in your Christian walk, uh, you may suffer some tribulation. And for him, he finds himself exiled on an island and it's not Hawaii. It's Patmos on account of the testimony of Jesus. And then he says in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. We're gonna talk about this today. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest and the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters. Where is John again? He's on an island called Patmos a very rocky, rocky island. And in his right hand, he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. May God bless the reading of his word for us today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together this morning in your word. Thank you for just the opportunity on this cold and rainy day to, to be in a place like this protected from the elements and um, Lord just having an opportunity to gather as the church in worship. Lord, thank you for allowing us to minister not only to each other through small groups this morning, but through song. And Lord, at this particular time when we turn our focus to your word, uh, Lord, I pray that you might speak to us, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. Lord, may we see you high and lifted up. May you draw us close to you. May you change us. May you transform us through the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, speak to us now. We pray in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Hey, if y'all were here last Sunday, I gave what I thought was a rousing illustration. Y'all agree with that? 
I mean, I really do. And it was about the little kid, you know, that found the, 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 the rock there in the river there in Carabas County. Y'all remember that? Shake your head as if you do. All right, don't lie. Y'all are in church, all right? But, but some of y'all remember that. Can I tell you what I did? We actually went, I actually had my, one of my sons go down to the, the water there in Hartsville. And we got up a big old rock and I spray painted it gold. And I was going to bring that up here and use it as a prop last Sunday. And then today I came that close to use that as a prop this Sunday as well. But I thought, no, they're going to think I'm cheesy. Y'all, y'all wouldn't think that, but I really came really close. So there in my garage, I've got this gold rock. So guess what I'm going to do with it? I'm going to put it back where I found it and really trick, you know, trick some people one day. Yeah, y'all don't know I was like that, but I am. But, uh, but if y'all remember the story, this kid and his brothers and sisters in Carabas County, North Carolina, 200 years ago found gold. And they didn't know it and, and what they did with it. And their parents didn't know it, but they used it as a decoration. It was, you know, this is like their version of Hobby Lobby or whatever that store is in Florence that everybody loves to go to. I got to admit, the older I get, the more I like that store. Is it Hobby Lobby? All right. Yeah. Okay. Y'all been there. <laughs> Man, y'all been there, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but it really is getting to be more and more of a cool store. And by the way, they're a Christian store. So uh, amen to that. Uh, great, great um, people that run that store. But, but this family found this gold and, and they used it as a prop, as a decoration there in their home. And literally they propped up in the door there they, and they walked by that rock all the time. And they had no idea just how valuable that thing was until they found out, wow, we have struck gold. That really is gold. And I shared that with you last Sunday. I want to share it with you again because I really like that story. It's a cool, cool story. But, but I share that with you for one particular reason. And that is that we're so much like that family. You know, we say we love Jesus. We say we sing to him and we did a great job of that today. Sang some new songs. I love that song, Evidence. Oh, one of my favorites. Um, Turn the volume up on the radio going home hearing that song and singing it because I can sing off key in the truck and nobody complains. But anyway, we, 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 we say we love Jesus. We sing about him. We pray to him. But do we really know how valuable he is and he should be in our life? And I shared with you last week how the shepherds came and they held... I I like to think that Mary allowed them to hold Jesus. He's their savior as well. He came for them. And I can just imagine shepherds with those dirty hands of theirs holding Jesus, the great I am in their hands. But do they really know how valuable he truly was? Do they really know that down the road, some 30-something years later, he was going to be on a cross for them? And then I shared with you last week, uh, this, this was the prop I chose to go with was that. And if you were here last week, what's so powerful about this particular image is that that is Caesarea Philippi, uh, some 20 to 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this is where Jesus took the disciples when he asked the question, who do you say that I am? And there in this place where people would put their gods and they would worship like the uh, the, the, the God known as Pan and other gods, they would put their little idols in these little holes in the wall there, or holes in the rock rather. There is where Jesus asked Peter and those that were with him, who do you say that I am? And Peter makes this bold declaration, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And what was so cool about that was not only was it taking place at there in that location, but if you see that little hole area right there, that cave, that was known back then as the gates of Hades. So when Peter makes this bold declaration, y'all know what Jesus does. He's like, he says, your name shall no longer be Simon Barjona, but Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I don't know about you, but I still love that story because it's biblical 
And when you go to Israel, and if you're thinking, well, I can never go to Israel, come to Sharal in, in September because a buddy of mine will bring Israel to us and we'll see places like this and he will, the Bible will just come to life. And by the way, that's the Jordan River. Can I get off on a tangent here? And you're thinking, you're not already? No. But I want to get off on a tangent to say this. That was probably at this point in his life, in Peter's life, the highlight. That was a spiritual high for him. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And the spiritual low point in his life took place years later, right? Just a few years later because time flies. When he deserted Jesus in Jesus' most desperate hour, Peter's, you know, AWOL. He deserts him. After he says, Lord, I'll never desert you. And guess who deserted him? But, you know, loudmouth Peter. <laughs> he's, he's like us sometimes, isn't he? Lord, I'll, I'll never desert you. Mm, yeah, you did. So when Jesus was resurrected, I say that to say this, there will be spiritual highs in your life and there are going to be some spiritual lows in your life when you follow Jesus. But Jesus is always running after you. I love the story of the prodigal son. It ought to be the prodigal, or it ought to be the story of, 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 the, of the father because the father is faithful and he's there every day just going to the edge of the far country wondering, hey, is today the day my son's coming back? So even when we have those spiritual low points in our life, there's nowhere to go but up, right? So when Jesus was resurrected, one of the first things he said was, hey, go find Peter. And he puts him back to work. <laughs> that, that's, that's our Lord. So, so you know, do we really know how valuable Jesus is? Hmm. I hope and I pray that we do. This, this text shows us several things about Jesus. And one of the things that talks to us about Jesus is how faithful he is. We, we've already mentioned that through Psalm this morning. If your Bibles are still open, just to rehash very, very briefly, uh, one of the f- things we see here right off the bat, John writes, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, that word witness is where we get our word martyr from. And I submit to you, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our sa- Savior, came to earth for one particular purpose, and that was to die for our sins. Not for his, because he was a perfect man, right? He's a God man. He was without sin. If he had sin in his life, he could not be a perfect sacrifice. He was a perfect sacrifice for us. And we read in scripture these words, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He is a faithful God. (laughs) So, So if you're facing some type of hardship in your life and there's been some hardships in our church family these past couple of days, uh, we've had too many deaths. And if you're facing something that's going to just be some obstacle that you think is going to be insurmountable, I want you to know that Jesus is a faithful king. If you've got a prayer that you think there's, there's no way Jesus can answer this prayer, he's the only one that can answer your prayer. He's God, and he is a faithful God. If he feels like somebody has abandoned you, know this. He will never, ever, ever abandon you. Hey, here's another illustration. I'm going off on tangent here, Rhett. Is that okay? It's not about how, how tight you're holding on to him. It's how tight he's holding on to you. Can I talk bad English like I don't all the time? He ain't never letting go. So he is our faithful king. Not only is he our faithful king, he's our, he's our risen king. And, and if, he, if he had not been raised from the dead, uh, there's no point in us being here today. But we're here today because we serve a risen savior who's in the world today. Y'all ready to start singing the old hymn? I'm not, but I could, but I'm not. He's our 
our risen king. And then we see here in verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of, some of your Bibles say the firstborn from the dead. And the reason that's an interesting phrase is that all throughout Scripture we see that there, there have been people that were raised before. We read in the Old Testament how Elijah and Elisha raised people from the dead. Then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus did the same thing. I mean, he's, he's God. He can do what he wants to do. And, and he raised Jairus' daughter. He raised the, the widow's son there in the city of Nain. And, he, and, of course, we all know, you know, Lazarus. But the, the difference there between all of those people and Jesus is all those people that were raised died again. So the Bible says Jesus is the firstborn from the dead because when he was resurrected from the dead, he didn't go back to the dead. We serve a, a risen Savior, and he's in the world today. And, folks, if Christ had not been raised, then what I'm doing today is empty and pointless and worthless, and your faith is empty as well. But because Jesus was risen from the grave, there's, there's hope when we go to the cemetery. Because he has risen from the grave, there's victory on the other side of the valley of death. And because he's risen, we can have hope in a world that, golly, Moses, all the time seems hopeless, doesn't it? But Christ has risen from the dead. Now, that's all old stuff, right? That's all last Sunday. Y'all ready for some new? Say amen if you are. All right. But y'all like the old stuff too, I know, right? But let me give you some old stuff or some new stuff today, if you don't mind. Uh, we also see in this text that Jesus is our ruling king. And there again, still at verse 5, the Bible says that he is the ruler of kings on the earth. Now, that's a very interesting phrase. He's the ruler of the kings on the earth. And the reason I think that's interesting, because it literally says he's the prince over all the kings, over all the rulers. He is the prince. He is the one who ultimately rules over the earth. So that tells me, and that should tell everybody in the world, that you might be a king of this country, or you might be a CEO, or you might be the president of the United States or the presidents of some other country. You might be a Supreme Court justice. You might be a mayor. There's always somebody over you who rules and reigns and is supreme, and his name is Jesus. We read over in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, these words. God also has highly exalted him, and he's given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth, and with those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is what, church? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He is our ruling king. And because Christ is ruler over all the earth, he should be your ruler as well. You know, sometimes we think, man, I'm the one that's in control here. No, you're not. Ultimately, Jesus is in control over everything in your life. And only he alone deserves to be in control. He alone deserves to be ruler over your life. A long time ago in England, there's a story that goes like this. There was a king named King Canute. All right, King Canute was his name. And, and, and everybody said, oh, King Canute, there's no one like you. I mean, people feared him. I mean, they didn't even want to talk about him. They were just so in fear of, of this guy. And they didn't know how they could even approach their king. And, but they told King Canute, there's no one in all the universe that's more powerful than you. And King Canute said, really? There's no one in all the universe more powerful than me? And they said, yes, that's, that's true. So he said, well, let's take my throne down to the ocean. And they went down to the ocean there and they put his throne right there in the ocean. And y'all know what the waves started to do, right? The waves started to crash upon his throne. And he says this, he said, so you're telling me that I'm the, I'm the, uh, no one is like me in all the universe. I'm that powerful. They said, you're that powerful King Canute. So he says, all right, let's test it. And he says, waves be still, tide, stop. 
I know what happened. The waves kept crashing upon the throne. The tide kept coming in. So he said it a little more forceful. forceful. Tide, stop. Waves, rescind. Y'all know what happened. And then he looks at all the people that brought his throne down there. And he says, I submit to you, the one that really is in charge over all the universe is Jesus. And he alone is the one that should be ruler over our kingdom and over your particular heart. And the story goes that he takes his throne, they take his throne back to wherever the throne room was. And King Canute was wearing a a crown, of course, because he's royalty. And he takes the crown off and puts it on a statue of Jesus. You say, is that a true story? I have no idea, but it's a good one. And it's been passed down by by a lot of folks through the years. But this is what I do know about that story. (laughs) There's coming a day that every knee is going to bow. Whether they want to or not, every knee will bow and they will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow, the Bible says, of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there might be some people that say, well, praise Jesus. That means everybody's going to be saved. No. Hey, Jesus wants everybody saved. He he went to the cross for the world. Not just for people that look like me or act like me or dress like me or something like that. He went to the cross for, for everyone, but not everybody's going to be saved. The difference between whether a person goes to heaven or whether a person goes to hell depends upon this. Listen to me. If somebody's asleep, wake them up. Pinch them gently in Jesus' name. The difference between whether somebody goes to heaven or hell depends on we bow to Jesus as Lord in, in, a, in an attitude of love or will you be forced to bow to him as Lord in fear and trembling? If in this life you turn from your sin, listen to me, if, if in this life you turn from your sin and, and you turn to Jesus who loves you with all of his heart, who died on the cross for you, and you say, oh, Lord Jesus, I don't deserve your salvation. I don't deserve your free gift of having my sins forgiven. Lord, I, I don't deserve to have you rule over my life. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But if you wait, if you wait and you're forced by the power of his majesty and you begrudgingly bow the knee and you say, oh, Jesus, I, re- I rejected you in my life. I, I-, I lived my life on my own terms. I did it my way. But Jesus, now I see that you are Lord and you alone deserve to be Lord and you alone deserve to rule. Well, then you've waited too late and forever you will be separated from God in a place called hell. Jesus doesn't want you to go there. So, so let me just say this. You say, um, let me just say this to you because you might know some people in your life, in your circle, your family, people you work with. Might even be somebody here today and you're thinking, well, I, I hear you say that. I just don't know if I fully believe you. It's, it's in the Bible, but, but if you don't fully believe me or what we read in the Bible... Let me just say this, eternity is much too long for you to be wrong. And are you willing to stake your life on it? So he is our, he's our ruling king, but, but then number four, if you're keeping notes, he's our, he's our loving king. Y'all with me? Say amen if you are. All right, so I'm, I'm glad you are. So he is our ruling king and, and one of the, our loving king here. And one of the reasons it's so wonderful to bow before him as our king is that he really does love you. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life 
what more can I give? Oh, how he loves you and me. I mean, I cannot begin to tell you how much he loves. Hey, look, I can. He loves you this much. That's how much he loves you. He went to the cross for you. I mean, he loves everything about you, warts and all. You know, one of our former presidents, uh, President Woodrow Wilson, had a way with words. Um, in fact, one of the things he said, let me see if I can find it really fast. Oh, let's see if I can do that. Ah, there it is. Wow, I love it when technology works. He said this, don't you wish we had presidents that believe this? And I hope they do. Strike that. I hope they do. But here's what Woodrow Wilson said about the Bible. He says, when you read the Bible, you know it is the word of God because it is the key to your heart, your own happiness, and your own duty. But then people used to make fun of Woodrow Wilson because they thought he was kind of, um, how do I say this? I can't be politically correct. They didn't think he was the most handsomest guy our most good-looking guy around. They thought his face wasn't just, you know, as pretty as mine and Trace, all right? So, and he knew that. He knew people picked on him and, and his look. So, so he came up with these words. He says, for beauty, I'm not a star. <laughs> for beauty, I'm not a star. There are others more perfect by far. But my face, I don't mind it, for I'm behind it. It is those in front that I jar. I like people that can kind of make fun of themselves. He, he loves us, warts and all. Look what your Bible says in verses 5 and 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made a kingdom, or made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And just notice what the Bible says about his love. Uh, his love is a costly love. I mean, he went to the cross for us. That's costly. And on the cross, he poured out his blood. He shed his blood for you and for me so, so that we wouldn't have to go there, so that we wouldn't have to go to the cross and pay a price for our sins. He did it for us. His love is a costly love, and it also reminds us that his love is a transforming love. To him who loved us, he's, he's made us kings and priests to his God and Father. So he's, he's made us into something. I mean, once because of my sin, I was separated from God. I mean, once I'm a, I'm a child of the devil because I'm separated from the great I am because of my sin. Once I was ensnared and enslaved by my sin, but once I was dead in my trespasses and in my sin, but, but he transforms us through his love. And because he loved me and because he loves you, he reaches down and he takes us out of our lostness and out of our sin and he makes us a king and priest to his God and Father. It's right here in, in Scripture. I heard about a lady that, um, this kind of reminds me of Downton Abbey. Y'all used to watch that show? Um, I used to watch it a lot. We started binge watching that, sh that show and then I got kind of upset with it because everybody I grew to like on that show, some tragedy happened and I said, you know, I'm, I'm tired of it. Well, now I kind of want to go back and start watching it again. But anyway, this, this illustration or this story I'm about to share with you kind of reminds me of that. It's about a lady named Mary who um, had not been to the beach ever. That's hard to comprehend, that you never have gone to the beach. You say, yeah, it is kind of hard to comprehend. My grandmother, who died in 1976, I was four, so you can do the math and figure out how old I, old I am. 48. All right, so anyway, so she passed away when I was four, never went to the beach until she was well advanced in her years. So, so it, it, it can happen. So this lady named Mary was, was kind of poor. She worked for a rich family. She had never been to the beach. And one day they decided to go to the beach. It was only a few hours away. 
So, so they all went to the beach and Mary was so excited. They let her ride with her on the car. And, and when she sees the beach there, they, they go to the Atlantic and they're at some beach there. And when Mary gets out of the car, she begins to run as fast as she can. And, and she's looking at this beautiful Atlantic ocean and she begins to cry. And the children come up to her and they're like, you know, why, why are you crying? Because they just can't comprehend. I've never cried when I went to the beach. I'm always excited to get there. I'm at the beach, right? And she's just crying because she's seeing something she's never seen before. And they said, why are you crying, Mary? And this is what she said. She said, you know, all of my life, there's never been enough. Never been enough money. Never been enough food. There's never been enough. And here as I look across this entire ocean, for the first time I see something where there's more than enough. I share that for this reason. There's more love for you in Jesus than in all the drops of water in a million oceans. That's how much he loves you. Y'all with me? You are highly favored. You are so, so loved. He, he, he loves you so much. He loves the worst person just as much as he loves the best person. He loves the saint and he loves the sinner. He, he loves you. He's our loving king. It's why he came. But not only is he our loving king, you'll like this. He is our coming king. Y'all ever been at your point in your life where you say, come Lord Jesus. I'm, I'm ready for you to come back. Look at verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So what the Bible's talking about here is the second coming of Jesus when he comes back to the earth to rule and to reign and to judge the earth. And the Bible talks about that at the end of uh, Revelation chapter 19 and there again in Revelation chapter 20. It talks about Jesus coming back. But the language here is behold or, or look, he's coming. Uh, it, it, English was kind of my subject, more so history, but, but English is all right. This, this is present tense. Am I present in English teachers? All right. This is present tense. He's on his way. Hey, if you listen close enough, it's almost as if you can hear him coming. He's coming. The Bible says that when he comes, the tribes of the earth will mourn at his coming. Even those who pierced him will see him and they will mourn because he's coming. Why? Why would anybody mourn? Because they're not ready. What if it were today, the old hymn goes? And if it were today, would you be ready? Because he's coming back. For a lost person, when Jesus comes back, it is a statement of dread. But for a saved person, when a saved person comes back, man, that's a statement of glory. So somebody will say, well, when is he going to come again? Uh, here's the in-depth answer. I don't know. Nobody does. Back in 1988, there was a book that was written and it said there's 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back today. In 1989, it was, it was revised. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know when he's coming back, but can I tell you something? Based on the authority of his word, he's coming back. And what if it were today? Would you be ready? I hope you would be. Something else this passage tells us is that not only is he our coming king, but he is our glorified king. And if you were to ask me or if I were to ask you, you know, what does Jesus look like? Uh, we, we really don't know. I've seen pictures. In fact, we've got pictures. It's kind of fun to walk around churches because churches tell a story. And you can go into any church that's been around for any length of time and you can probably find a particular picture of what somebody thought Jesus looked like. And they made this picture back in the 1930s, 1940s. You know, real, real, real solemn and gait, narrow face, long hair. Uh, that's just an artist's rendering. 
We, we don't know what he looked like. I, I think he kind of looked like what you would imagine somebody from Israel looking like even today because y'all remember in scripture when Jesus highly offended some of the religious folks of the day? He did that a couple of times. And, and some of the religious folks were ready to cast him off the cliff there, Mount Precipice. And, and what did Jesus do? He just kind of blended in. So, so he, he looked normal. He looked like somebody from, from Israel. He looked like somebody that was a Hebrew, that was of the Jewish uh, race, of the Jewish culture. We also know that he had a beard, Robert. He had a beard, man, my friend. Because we read in Scripture that when he was preparing to go to the cross, they plucked out his beard. <laughs> we don't really know what he looked like on earth, but we get a picture of what he looks like in heaven from our text today. So look there. Let's, let's just kind of break this down for a few minutes. We're looking at verses 12 and following. John, remember, John is having a revelation of heaven. And he says in verse 12, I turned to see the voice that spoke to me and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man. And, and notice he's clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about his chest with a golden band. His head, his hair were like, were white like wool, white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in strength. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, John, what in the world are you talking about here? Not the details that I can kind of, it's hard to comprehend that, right? But that's a picture of our king of glory in heaven. So, so think with me very quickly about his authority that we see here in this description of him. The Bible says he's standing in the midst of the, of the golden lampstands. And those lampstands are the churches that he's written the book of Revelation to. Jesus basically has authority in the church. Can I tell you something? As much as somebody might say, oh, yeah, Sherrod first, that's Rod's church. Nuh-uh. This is Jesus' church. I kind of chuckle when people say, yeah, that church over there, they call it the name of the pastor. And I just kind of chuckle because it ain't that pastor's church. It's Jesus' church. He rules and, and he reigns. So what we would need to do about as staff that serve you is help us all be on the same page with Jesus. Hmm. So he's got authority over the churches. And then it talk, the Bible talks about his garments, that he's clothed with a garment down to his feet. That's a robe of royalty. And then it talks about he's girded about the chest with a golden band. You know, picture a priest, if you will, wearing a priestly belt and a priestly girdle, if you will. Uh, that shows that he's not only king, but that he's priest. He's our glorified king. Then verse 14, it talks about his glorified head and his hair, Trey. <laughs> talks about his, we were kind of making fun of hair today and whether we have hair or not. I love you, my friend. He talks here in verse 14 about his glorified head and hair. And, and John says they're white like wool. And, and that whiteness speaks of his purity, as white as snow. And his eyes are like the flame of fire. Sometimes in the Bible, fire is a fire of judgment. Sometimes in the Bible, the fire is a fire of purification. But here it talks about the fire is the omniscience. He's all-knowing, our Lord is. I mean, he can see right through us. His eyes are like a flame of fire. So he sees past the facade that we sometimes put on. How are you doing today, pastor? Man, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm blessed in Jesus' name. Things are fantastic. Huh, really? I don't think so. I read your Facebook post this week. You know, you know what I mean? Sometimes we put on a facade when we come to church. Jesus is all-knowing. And his eyes are like fire that just pierces us. And then verse 15, we see his glorified feet and his feet were like fine brass. That speaks of his stability. 
It shows us that he's not a pushover. You can't move him around. He is solid. He's strong. He's our Lord. He stands there and he's stable with his feet. And then he talks about his, his voice as the sound of many waters. Remember where John is. He's on the Isle of Patmos, a very, very rocky island. And I'm sure he's trying to sleep. And he, all he hears 24-7 is the waves crushing up there against the shore. How deafening that can be. So John's like, his voice was like the sound of waves, deafening sound. And then in verse 16, he held in his hand the seven stars. And, and those seven stars are the seven angels, are the seven messengers. I like to think of it this way. They're the pastors of the churches that the book of Revelation was written to. He holds pastors in his hand. A quick story. I'll try to make it as quick as I can. Uh, Ralph Carter um, doesn't know me from Adam, but I know Ralph. He's been a pastor in our state for years. Just retired. Led a great church that God blessed up in the upstate. But when they moved from an old location to their current location, he got lambasted. And it wasn't bailing from his, some people from church had a hard time that were there leaving the old church, going to a brand new campus and new facilities. But he really got lambasted from, from, um, from people in the community. How dare he? This church has been here. This church has been here for years. How dare you move to a new location? So, so when people complained back then, you know, they didn't have Facebook and internet, but they had the letters to the editor and they would write letters. And some people in his church says, Ralph, you got to respond to this. You, you got to respond to all these attacks on you. And this is what Ralph said. Ralph basically said this, and this has been my MO ever since. God's got this. God will take care of them. God's going to take care of me. God will take care of us. God takes care of his, of his pastors. If not now, he's going to take care of them in heaven, and he'll take care of people that might even have it in for him. And then notice his mouth. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And, and, and so basically John is looking at the face of the Lord Jesus and it was just bright like these lights. <laughs> he can almost, he can't even look at, at Jesus. And, and then we see what he does. I mean, he's no longer talking to a carpenter of Nazareth. He's standing in front of the king of glory. He's calling, he's hearing the king of glory to him. And what does Jesus do? He says, fear not, fear not. <laughs> well, let me move on because I've got to get you out of here. I know y'all aren't ready to go, but I've got to move on. He's our glorified king, but then lastly, he's our eternal king. Look at verse 17. So there John writes, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I was dead. And let me just stop here and say, you know, um, if you were reading in the gospel of John on the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus and his closest companions was in the upper room. And we read something kind of unique about John. John was reclining on the chest of Jesus, kind of just kind of like, you know, leaning over. That tells you of their relationship. Hey, it tells me this, I've got an approachable savior. He likes, he wants me to hang out with him. He wants me to feel comfortable around him. So John knew Jesus so well, he felt comfortable leaning up against him. But when he went to heaven and saw Jesus, he fell flat on his face as if he was dead. 
And sometimes people say, well, man, I can't wait till I get to heaven. I'm going to give Jesus a piece of my mind. Oh, no, you won't. When you see Jesus, you're going to fall flat on your face as if you were dead. But here's what Jesus is going to do, exactly what he did to John. He's going to put his right hand on you, and he's going to say, fear not. There again, that's how much he, he loves you, and he wants you to be in a relationship with him. And, and then John, he says, John, don't be afraid. John, why? Why, Lord? <laughs> because I'm the first and the last. John, I, I'm the beginning, and John, I'm the end. I'm the one who lives forevermore. Remember I was dead? John, you remember that? They put my body in the tomb, but behold, I'm alive and I'm alive forevermore. And by the way, John, I hold the keys to Hades and of death. Jingling-a-ling-a-ling. I've got them, John. Folks, there's nothing to fear if Jesus is near. If he's in your heart, he's your eternal king. And I sure am glad he's my king. And I hope and pray he's your king because in Jesus, I have a righteousness that can never be tarnished. In Jesus, I have an acceptance that can never be questioned. In Jesus, I have a judgment that can never, ever, ever be repeated. In Jesus, I have a title that can never be clouded. I've got a position that can never be invalidated. In Jesus, I've got a standing that can never, ever, ever be disputed. That's why I can say, you remember the title sermon or the sermon title, all hail king. Jesus, yeah. In Jesus, I have a justification that can never be reversed. I've got a seal that can never be violated. I've got an inheritance that can never be alienated. I've got a wealth that can never be depleted. So all hell, King. Jesus, yeah. I mean, in him, and, and you can say this as well, we've got a resource that can never be diminished. We've got a bank that can never be closed. We've got a possession that can never be measured, a portion that can never be denied. We've got a peace that can never be destroyed. So we can say, all hell, King. Jesus, yeah. I mean, in Jesus, we have a joy that can never be suppressed, a love that can never be abated, a grace that can never be arrested, a strength that can never be vitiated, a power that can never be exhausted, a salvation that can never be annulled, and a forgiveness that can never be rescinded. All hell, King. Jesus, yeah. And in Jesus, we have a deliverance that can never be disavowed. We've got an assurance that can never be disappointed, a nature that can never be changed, a comfort that can never be lessened, a service that can never go unrewarded, an intercessor who can never be disqualified. So all of us can say because of him, all hell, King. Jesus, yeah. In Jesus, we have a victor who can never be vanquished, a glory that can never be dimmed, a hope that can never be disappointed, and praise God, a resurrection that can never be hindered. That's why we can say in churches like this today, all hell, King Jesus. Let me ask you to bow your head, every head bowed and every eye closed. Our bands will come up and lead us in a final song. And I just want you to, I'm, is, is he your king? Oh, he's worthy. He's worthy to be your king. He's coming back. And he's a king that loves you so much. You know, you will never be truly free until Jesus is your king. You hear me? You'll never be truly free until Jesus is your king. You'll never be truly free unless he's your Lord and if he's your savior. So I ask you this morning, do you know him as savior? Do you know him as Lord? And I believe that many of us here can say, yeah, he's, he's my savior, but I really haven't made him Lord over particular areas of my life do that today. Rededicate your life to him. 
If you never asked him to be your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you when we stand in a few minutes and sing this hymn of decision to meet with me and Trey. We would love to counsel you about that. We probably can't do it in the few minutes we have while we sing a song, but we will make an appointment to see you today because we want to make sure you're ready whenever Jesus comes back. Father God, thank you for being our King, for being our Savior, for being our Redeemer. You're worthy, Lord. And Lord, as we begin a brand new year, Father God, I just pray that we've got a greater desire to live for you, that you will reign and you will rule and you will be supreme in our hearts and our minds and our emotions. Everything about us, Lord, may it be said, I belong to King Jesus. Lord, may this be a brand new year where all of us are new in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. 